0: up, energy fam. This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoom land with Cindy Tapp, COO at Sage Geosystems. Cindy is former vice president of unconventional wells and logistics at Shell and is now pursuing a career in the geothermal space. Cindy, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Justin. Great to be here. I couldn't turn down an invitation to be on Wicked Energy. That's just... yeah. <laughs> it's I feel like I should be wearing my motorcycle harness boots, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an interesting name and I guess now that we've got on that topic. So, you know, being from Canada, Western Canada to be specific, growing up wicked was in the same sort of vocabulary bucket as rad, you know, everything's rad or oh that's wicked. You know, my wife being from up there as well, or growing up in Canada, you know, she started her own company and and called it Wicked Holdings. And so now we're kind of building this wicked brand. And I just thought it would be fitting. And you know, I didn't want it by hearing Wicked Energy, you're not sure kind of what is like is it oil and gas? Is it you know utilities? Is it you know, like no one really, so, but, you know, that's kind of the idea behind it is anything energy, I think is wicked energy. And so, yeah, little tidbit there. But yeah, wearing, yes, yeah, some motorbike, you know, motorcycle boots or something wicked would certainly be fitting, but I think you'll be just fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I have to say, geothermal is a wicked energy. So I think it fits right on your podcast.
0: Hey, hell yeah. I couldn't agree more. So before we get going, I want to give a big shout out to Clint Ford, actually, over at Neighbors. We had breakfast a while ago and, We were talking about the podcast, and I said, you know, if if you could name, you know, a handful of people that would be great guests, who would you suggest? And you know, your name came up, you know, right away. And so I want to thank him and thank you. And I'm curious, how do you know Clint? Or is it you know someone you worked with, or just are you know of him? Or
1: no, that's fantastic. Yeah, I know Clint. I knew Clint from my shell oil and gas days. And then, of course, neighbors is one of our investors. So neighbors actually is. A fantastic investor in geothermal. They've got a long-term vision as far as geothermal. They see the natural segue from oil and gas equipment and skill set, and they see the future being pretty solid in geothermal. So they are one of our investors and have been great to work with.
0: Very cool. You know, neighbors is kind of an interesting story for me. I'm on the you know on the drilling side myself. And so I've been on several neighbors drilling rigs. And when I started off my career, when I was 18, you know, 18 from Calgary, Alberta, drive out to Nisku, Alberta and go apply at you know, neighbors and precision and all the rest of them. And neighbors was the first one to call me back. Didn't get the job with neighbors, but then precision picked me up. And so there's a not necessarily a bitter taste. I'm, I was like, Neighbors shut me down and you know, Precision picked me up. So I was giving them a hard time about that. I'm like, you missed the opportunity to get someone like myself on board. But either way, Neighbors is, you know, it's interesting. Neighbors is a great company, you know, with the people there. I know, you know, quite a few people, rigs are great. And so, yeah, no, nothing but positive things to say on that front. And before we get going, I did notice on LinkedIn, you had a post, I think earlier today And this will get aired, you know, I think probably sometime in August. But either way, tell us about Pivot 2022, all hands on deck. Because I think that's really interesting. And if if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing about that, because I think people that are listening that are interested in the space should check it out or any future events.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the third year of Pivot. So the coordinator for Pivot is a lady named Jamie Beard. And Jamie has actually been one of our close allies in geothermal. She's a reason we're in geothermal. She literally had a discussion with our CEO, Lev Ring and our CTO, Lance Cook, when they were doing some fracking work. They had actually had a fracking business kind of in the COVID period, and she convinced them to look at geothermal. She's a big part of why we're here. Again, this is the third year of Pivot. I think last year there was over... 12 to 15,000 attendees. It is all virtual, which actually makes it very easy to attend. And it's a full week and it is loaded with different topics, different panels. So yeah, the panel that I'm on, and I'm on with one of my partners, Lance Cook, who's our CTO, is on Tuesday, July 26. And we're actually going to be talking about the field results or field test results from our Star County uh, well test. So we tested our heat route downward oriented fracturing technology in Star County, and we'll be in this, I think, 35 minute time period trying to share as much of that data and our learnings as we can. So we're pretty excited, but we've got our chief geoscientist, Mike Eros, he's going to be on a panel and one of our mechanical engineering consultants, Mike Hill, he's going to be on a panel. So yeah, I think everybody should Sign up and learn about Geothermal the week of July 25th.
0: Very cool. Well, I may try and get this out before then, but worst case scenario, I don't. Is it going to be recorded or is there anything going to be published to where people can access it if they're interested to hear about it after the event's over?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Everything's recorded and you can watch it for weeks and weeks afterwards, which (laughs) actually, believe it or not, some of us do because you can't necessarily catch all of the panels and they're quite interesting. And it's actually focused kind of on not only the traditional hydrothermal geothermal, so the very robust geothermal that's been around for 25 years, but it's also focused on the newer you know, geothermal technologies like enhanced geothermal systems, EGS. And it really spans the whole technology realm of geothermal, which is what makes it interesting to a lot of people.
0: Perfect. Well, what I'll do is any links that I can get and we can maybe share, I'll put it in the show notes. That way, if people are listening, they can scroll down and perhaps click, or at least a link to get them to the website or point them in the right direction. And I do certainly want to talk about you know, your Stark County project, but before we get diving deep into the weeds, I'm always fascinated to hear about my guests' stories and journeys. And the best way to get to know someone is by asking the following question right out of the gate. So Cindy, what does your ideal Friday night look like? If you had all the money in the world, you could teleport anywheres, spend it with whoever What would that look like?
1: That's probably an easy question. I would be on our property in the country with my daughter, spending time with the horses. So, Ah. I love being outside, love hands on, you know, doing projects and such. So, that would probably be my dream on a Friday night watching the sunset, having a fire going. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. And I mean, would there be any? Particular foods you'd be eating, any particular drinks?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Well, food probably nothing in particular. A margarita would be great.
0: <laughs> okay, Cindy likes <laughs> margs. I like that. You're right up my alley. <laughs> cool. So, okay. I mean, you said horses. Where did you grow up? I mean, was that something you were, you know, exposed to as a young age, or? How did actually,
1: that come Yeah, no, actually, I rode horses when I was younger, but we couldn't afford the horses. You know, my parents did well for all of us. I'm blessed to have been put through college by my parents. But, you know, we had four kids. And so, you know, riding a horse occasionally was in the card, but not owning one. But yeah, so we've got three horses and a donkey that my daughter, they're my daughter's pets. Nice. Yeah, they're keeping the grass mowed on our <laughs> place.
0: And so where did, like kind of going back to growing up, where did you grow up?
1: Well, my dad was in the oil field. So I was born in Texas, lived at a young age in Texas. Don't remember. We moved to California, lived just outside of LA in a small community called Whittier. And then at some point in the seventies got transferred to New Orleans So then I did most of my schooling in New Orleans and went to LSU and got a mechanical engineering degree, then started working for Shell. And yeah, the rest is history. So the energy is in my blood. My dad was a geophysicist. Ah, okay. Yeah, which that's something that I know we need, but never interested me. I'd rather be in the well construction part of the business, which is what I spent most of my career in at Shell.
0: Right. And so, yeah, I think it's fascinating looking back on your LinkedIn, you were there for roughly 35 years. And so, you know, again, I don't want to make this all about you and being at Shell, but I think, you know, they've been instrumental on a lot of different fronts, just with, you know, energy supply, oil and gas production, you know, now as a European major, similar to BP and a lot of the European majors are making a big push and in investing a lot of capital into, you you know, whether you want to call it transitional energy, renewables, but I mean, if you could like kind of just describe your experience in that shell and maybe some of the unique projects or things that you got to work on, you know, throughout your career there. Cause I mean, you got to see a ton and 35 years is that's a long time. And especially to stay at one company.
1: Yeah, no, it's a fantastic company to work for. You get the opportunity to see projects all over the world you get the opportunity to work with some fantastic people, very smart people, very innovative. That's what I really enjoyed about Shell. Shell, they give you the opportunity to, you know, be yourself, to innovate, to bring new projects. And so that was my experience over the 35 years. I did, like I said, I love hands-on. So the latter part of my career was mainly spent in well construction. So when I left Shell I was the vice president over the unconventional wells assets so Canada, US, South America and then I had even worked China for a period of time before we closed that down but yeah very exciting very challenging we you know I had when I left the group that I was working with was fantastic leading performance globally in, you know, the drilling and completions of unconventional wells. And so, yeah, what I remember most about Shell is the people, quite frankly.
0: You know, and that says a lot. And I think now, you know, there's always this talk about culture. And I think a lot of it is to please people or because people talk about culture because it's somewhat, you know, expected. But, you know, I think it's a testament to Shell and perhaps their organizational culture to have someone like yourself stay there for so long, because Typically people, you know, stay five, six, seven years and they'll move and kind of bounce around. But for someone like yourself to have spent that much time there, I think that speaks volumes for the organization to keep people because now it's a challenge and it's not only a challenge to keep people, it's a challenge to find good talent. And actually at NAEP this year, I forget who it was. There was a, a gentleman speaking on behalf of Shell and I forget his role there, but they were talking about people as their greatest assets and the challenge of attracting talent increasing the petroleum engineering, you know, count of you know folks going into school. It's a challenge. And what I think, and actually speaking to Shell, and we can move on after this, but we have some interns working for us at the company I work for. And I had a conversation with a few of them, I said, you know, how can us as an industry, whether that's energy, oil and gas, just in general attract people and kind of like, you know, bring sexy back into energy. And they said, people need to be on social media where all the attention is because that's where all the eyeballs are. And if, unless you're creating content and creating your brand and doing a bunch of brand marketing, it's going to continue to remain challenging. And then I swear the next day I saw on Twitter, Shell came out and said they're hiring or they're looking for a TikTok manager and they want to be the best content creator on TikTok moving forward. So I was like, No way. There you go. So anyway, a little tidbit there, but I think that was really neat.
1: That's interesting. And you know, even within Sage Geosystems, Justin, we and we're a small company, you know, we've got right now eight employees. So we balance between trying to get the work done and trying to be visible on social media. And and we do think it's very important to be visible on social media. In fact, over the last like three or four months, we were working with the Stanford Energy Club. And part of their project was to inform us on how do we reach out to, you know, their generation? How do we attract them to geothermal, educate them on geothermal? And so, you know, it was an interesting experience, but they did say, yeah, you need to be visible on all sorts of social media. And so I think there is a balance between actually getting the work done and then advertising (laughs) what you're doing, right?
0: Yes, it's not this or that. I think it's just something that you have to add to your business and add to your strategy because ultimately it's extremely important. But that's an interesting story. And so, you know, again, an extended period of time at Shell. I'm curious like what did it look like transitioning out just with regards to, you know, geothermal? I mean, I'm sure you could have picked, you know, a bunch of different, you know, avenues geothermal aligning quite well with your experience, you know, in subsurface. But yeah, I'm curious like how did that come about and why geothermal?
1: Well, I mean, if first I wanted to get in renewables and, you know, renewables is such an interesting field. It's such a challenging field too. I mean, as you said, energy is kind of like funerals, right? We're always going to need it. And Actually, the demand for energy is especially electricity is just going to continue to grow, not only with the population growth, but with everything being electrified. And you've got data centers, you've got, you know, Bitcoin mining, stuff like that. So, geothermal was just the most natural way for me to get into renewables because, as you said, you know, like oil and gas, you basically use a well bore that you drill into the ground for a resource, but you're looking for heat. And not oil and gas. So, the other thing is, as I learned more about geothermal, I realized there was just a huge potential that seemed to have been overlooked. So, like I said, there's been a robust geothermal industry for 25 years in the classical hydrothermal. And I think now is a great time to be looking at the other types of geothermal, hot, dry rock, for example. So yeah, it just seemed interesting and a huge engineering challenge and something that I think the oil and gas industry can provide a lot of learning to make geothermal more cost competitive.
0: Right. So, I mean, I guess this kind of ties into that and you may have already answered it, but I'm curious if there's anything else. Are there any core beliefs that you've changed your mind on over the last few years regarding energy? I mean, Someone that was, you know, obviously involved with unconventional oil and gas. You went through the shale revolution, but does any sort of belief in energy sort of was there a shift or a change? Because you know, there are people who have, that are saying, you know what, I see the writing on the wall. I want to get into renewables. Can you elaborate at all on any of that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think you've had this experience before when you're working for a large company and you know you're in a position that's quite busy and taking up your time you kind of have blinders on, right? So you're looking at what you're trying to deliver that's right in front of you. And so, you know, when you take a step back and really look at the bigger picture and renewables is that bigger picture, then again, geothermal seemed like the natural segue with my oil and gas skills. Quite frankly, you know, my partners, I knew them both at Shell. So we've worked together for over 35 years I think our skill sets are very complementary to each other. So that helped as well, because they were already digging into geothermal and it's so excited about what they were finding. Yeah, so I guess one thing I always respected about Van Bearden, who's the CEO at Shell, is that he talked about natural gas being a transition fuel. And I think you're seeing more of that messaging in Europe right now. You know, I do think natural gas, of course, burns a lot cleaner than coal and oil. And so I think we still need to be respectful of the role that hydrocarbons can play. And also the role that they play to allow us time to transition to renewables. So I want to 100% transition to wind, solar, you know, geothermal, nuclear, but I want us as an industry, an energy industry to be given time to transition. So that's kind of the, I guess, my belief system around energy.
0: Yeah. And I think that's fair. And, and, you know, you do, the ones that speak loudly can often be, and again, through my observation are sort of the extremes on, on either or, but I think most people would agree. And the ones that I've spoken to that are in wind and in solar, they do respect oil and gas industry, they understand the demand for us being able to still produce energy, produce hydrocarbons, you know, at a reasonable cost. And because it'll allow for the transition. And so, you know, it's refreshing to hear that even from someone like yourself, it's, it's and you really used to hit it on the head is like, it takes time, right? It's you read the headlines and it's like, oh, oil and gas companies, you know, they're price gouging and they're not producing enough. And, but the reality is, it's like, you can't just punch a hole in the ground and start producing an extra 100,000 barrels a day like these things take time like we can't just go from 12 million a day in the US to 13 too, in like a couple of weeks you know and then same with you know LNG exports like oh the US is going to save the day but i interviewed a lady not too long ago from Schneider Electric who is a gas market analyst and she's pretty dialed into the LNG market and you know just all things natural gas here in the US and the amount of time it takes to you know the amount of capital the time you know the construction for LNG terminals it's quite the project so these things can't you know you can't just have a boat pull up to some port and just all of a sudden start transporting natural gas to you know other parts of the world like things take a lot of time and so anyway it's just i agree with that and for the folks listening it's interesting doing a little bit of research and just kind of understanding the complexities of a lot of these systems you know, because time and money is required. And so with that said, what would you say, Cindy, is the biggest challenge for geothermal and not maybe specifically to Sage, but just in general, because I feel like it's been an industry that's been there. It's had success. It's proven itself. There's been a lot of, again, like it's a pretty lengthy, it's been around for a while, but it just, it hasn't really taken off. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on really what's challenge the industry to scale up at a reasonable rate?
1: No, that's a good question, Justin. So, you know, again, I think when most of us think about geothermal, we think about the geysers of California, we think about Iceland, we think about areas where you've got water or steam that's pretty close to the surface that's very hot. So it's easy to get out, I shouldn't say easy, it's readily available to get out of the ground in order to harvest the heat and actually when you're harvesting the heat from the earth with the fluid that the earth is actually producing it's the most efficient way to harvest that heat now the challenge is is that those environments make up like two percent of the geothermal opportunities or resources around the world So you literally kind of have to have, you know, a volcano in your backyard or be on the ring of fire to have those geologic circumstances. So, you know, again, geothermal has been around for 25 years, very robust industry, but we now need to start thinking about geothermal in a different aspect. And that would be with rock that is not maybe as hot. So it's not, you know, four or 500 degrees C and also rock that not necessarily will produce, naturally produce fluid, which would then bring that heat to the surface to be harvested. So, you know, again, you've heard of hot, dry rock. You've heard of, you know, EGS, enhanced geothermal or engineered geothermal systems. And so, you know, I think the reason why we haven't been able to scale up, one is the geology, because the proven geothermal technologies are around the hydrothermal. And then two is, you know, the implementation of being able to prove the new technologies around hot, dry rock. And so I think as there's numerous companies out there, you know, it's not just Sage Geosystems, obviously. Great companies out there that are working this challenge. And I think as we as an industry, you know, I heard somebody call it new geothermal the other day. We as a new geothermal industry start proving that we can basically effectively harvest the heat from the earth, which is a challenge because rock is not a good conductor of heat, and then be able to efficiently convert that heat to electricity, but do it in a cost competitive manner. Then I think we'll start being more on the radar of, you know, energy as a whole.
0: Interesting. Is there appetite from the investment community to tap into sort of new geothermal? Are you starting to see any money from the private side come in to geothermal? Or?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this is interesting too. One of our other investors is a company called Vera V I R Y A, and Vera is owned by Chris Anderson. So Chris Anderson founded TED Talks, and so oh, Chris. Really,
0: is, I was going to say that name sounds familiar.
1: He's. British and, you know, made his money in other industries, but he's, you know, wants to put his money toward the challenge of climate change. And so he was our initial investor. And so he and his group have been fantastic to work with, very supportive, you know, very understanding on the technical side. In fact, we had a meeting with him earlier this week and we're Talking about one of the technical aspects of our field test, and he was very curious, asking lots of questions. So, yeah, Uh, we're definitely seeing. So, we have neighbors who, you know, is a worldwide, as we know, drilling company with advanced technologies for drilling in the oil and gas realm. We've got Chris Anderson. So, yeah, we're getting a lot of support on the investment side now going forward, we've got some technologies that we are working on that we're demonstrating in the field and or on bench test this year. So what we need to do next, though, is really to install a demonstration plant. And then I think after that, after we're able to show that we can deliver geothermal commercially and at a reasonable cost for a one-off project, then I think the money will be a lot easier to access as far as scaling up.
0: Yeah. No, that's really fascinating. And so I'm curious to, I want to hear a little bit more about Sage. Tell us a little bit about the mission and vision there and some of the really fascinating things that you have going on. You briefly mentioned it at the beginning there, but I'd like to get into that a little more if we could.
1: Absolutely. So Maybe the way to go about describing what we're working on is just to talk about our three major deliverables for this year. So we're very focused on what we're trying to deliver in 2022. So one is to develop an in-house geothermal modeling tool. So, you know, basically a tool that can predict the amount of power you generate based on the geology, the well configuration, the working fluid and such. So that is complete But at the same time, we're still high grading it with different functionalities. So very excited about that. It's called GeoTwin. Ah. The second deliverable was to perform a field test of our heat root downward oriented fracturing technology. So we did that. We completed it about two months ago. And I can tell you more about that. And then the third is we are working with the Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio to design and build a three megawatt prototype, supercritical CO2 turbine for geothermal use. And so we are currently cutting metal, machining the components of the turbine, and we'll be actually doing a bench test at the Southwest Research Institute's flow loop in San Antonio in September.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like you guys are on the front line of some fascinating stuff. So yeah, I am curious about on the second topic of the field test, can you describe a little more in detail on how that's going and kind of the sort of what you see sort of, you know, as it continues to evolve where that's going to lead you guys?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, again, hot dry rock is the biggest challenge for geothermal right now. So heat root is our patented downward-oriented fracturing technology for hot, dry rock. So you use it to create basically an artificial reservoir at the bottom of the well to be able to then circulate a fluid through, and then you harvest the Earth's heat that way. So our vision is if we're able to do this, and the industry is obviously working on this as well, you want to be able to put geothermal everywhere, right? Not just in places where there's volcanoes or the ring of fire. So we re-entered and abandoned the oil and gas well. It's actually a gas well that was drilled in 2008. And it was considered a dry hole. So as you can imagine, they didn't run the last string of casing. So we were able to be working within nine and five eighths inch casing, which is actually pretty big for onshore. And in geothermal, you need bigger casing sizes to have higher mass flow rates to be able to basically harvest more heat and to be commercial. So We re-entered the well. It was actually drilled to 19,000 feet, but we stayed within the nine and five eighths inch casing. So we were working at depths between about 7,900 feet and 11,100 feet. And the maximum bottom hole temperature was about 150 C or 300 F. So yeah, it's pretty warm. So our original intent was to create a 350-foot vertical fracture in this well and then, you know, do some circulation tests through this fracture. So basically, a single well EGS system. So most EGS systems are two wells where you're injecting into one and producing out of the other. But because we need to cut the cost, we were trying to demonstrate a single well EGS. And so again, we're trying to create a 350-foot vertical frack, and we were actually able to connect over 3,200 feet, which is almost 10 times what we were trying to connect, which we see as a, a huge win for you know geothermal. It was just great. So then after we connected this 3,200 feet, we performed a series of circulation tests. So basically pumping into the top of the fracture and flowing out the bottom with a drill pipe in the hole and then pumping down the drill pipe and pumping into the bottom of the fracture going out of the top. And then after that, we performed a series of pump and flowback tests. So basically pumping fluid into the fracture, almost like a aqualung. Yeah. Letting it inflate, shutting down and then flowing that fluid back. And so we got some really great results from this fill test. And actually we'll be sharing it At pivot, yeah, on July 26th.
0: So it exceeded your guys' expectations, from what I understand. Is that something that's repeatable, you think, or because the stars obviously aligned a little bit there? But is this something that you feel like you can deploy in other areas and achieve similar results? Or
1: absolutely, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, geology changes as you go in different places. But Justin, one thing that we did reflect is that. We were wanting to stay inside the casing on this well. So normally we would want to target a deeper, hotter formation. And some of our test results actually suggested as we get deeper to get the hotter rock, you actually have diagenesis come in, which means that the rock gets tighter and the frac gradient actually starts to move closer together. So we had a huge difference in the frac gradient between the top of the fracture and the bottom. And it kind of made when we were trying to circulate, we would get like two thirds of the fluid back that we put in. So we were seeing the fractures open and close, not in a manner that was conducive for EGS, quite frankly. But we think as you get deeper, that fracture gradient comes closer together. We think it'll actually be more conducive with what we're trying to do with the single well EGS system.
0: Interesting. So there's a sweet spot, and deeper is not necessarily like incrementally better. It sounds like we think
1: deeper is going to be better. Yeah. Not only will it be hotter, but we think, you know, the rock will be tighter and the fracture will come closer together. So the fracture will actually behave in a manner that's more conducive to being able to get the heat out of it.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I I misunderstood a little bit there, but that makes sense. And so Going back, because you said that was an existing well that you were working on, right? Exactly. So that you, I guess you reworked, but like, do you see in the future a lot of activity going towards say abandoned wells or just low, like maybe oil and gas companies divesting in non-core assets and then folks like either yourself or whoever come in and rework them, or is it just developing new fields or is it a combination of both?
1: Yeah, Justin, the challenge with reentering wells or using old wells is twofold, I would say. One is, as you know, because your background is the condition of the well. And actually, if you're reentering, say, even an abandoned well is what is in the well, right? So it's the the well integrity and the condition. And are you going to find something unexpected, a surprise that ends up costing you a lot of money to basically clean out? And then the other, at least in onshore, is the well bore size. So a lot of onshore wells, as you know, are between, you know, five inch casing and maybe seven inch casing. That's the challenge. We're not ruling it out. We would love to be able to repurpose wells. But I think it is the combination that you mentioned, because the other thing is you really need a high density of wells to produce geothermal at a commercial level so we're envisioning for example using multi-well pad drilling like is used in unconventionals onshore oil and gas and drilling a, a say an 18 to 20 well pad getting about three megawatts per well so you would with the 18 to 20 well pad you would get say a 50 megawatt you know power generation so you need that density to get that, that commercial level of power generation. So I think it would be a combination of potentially re-entering wells, definitely using the subsurface knowledge that you get in oil and gas fields because wells have actually been drilled and combining that with what you know you need subsurface wise for geothermal and coming up with the best solution.
0: Gotcha. So, you know, this is my drilling background and sort of the shale revolution the thought process coming into this, but from my understanding, and I may be wrong, but I think the most of the geothermal wells are like very shallow vertical wells. Do you see going horizontally adding any value similar to what you see in the oil and gas side or is vertical kind of like from a technical perspective, give you enough or is going horizontal make sense in geothermal, I guess is my question.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It definitely does. And different well designs, definitely horizontal or even directional. One of our well designs, we're thinking of maybe a 30 degree angle and then placing fracks along the well bore. But in geothermal, the surface area that you have to basically harvest the heat from the rock is the greater the surface area, the more you can harvest, which is the reason why in hot, dry rock, we like fractures because you can get a huge surface area with a fracture in order to harvest the heat. But yeah, definitely, there's definitely well designs where you would drill horizontal. Potentially you could frack between two horizontal legs. And then circulate the fluid through the fracture. There's a lot of geothermal companies that are using directional and even horizontal wells for their well designs as well.
0: Very cool. No, as again, someone in the drilling and drilling fluid world, my brain's turning and thinking, okay, you know, there's opportunity for, you know, a lot of activity to happen here. And so it excites me. And, you know, I think it's fascinating what you and the rest of SAGE are doing, what would you say, is there any emerging technologies I mean you've spoken on it, but are there any other emerging technologies in the geothermal space that excites you or that you think could possibly unlock you know or be the sort of the key to unlock the door to mass deployment?
1: yeah, absolutely, so I'm not sure if you've heard of the Forge project in Utah being run by the d o e no so they're haven't. doing yeah so they're doing a lot of really interesting work in kind of the igneous rocks, you know the the rock that you typically find in geothermal wells on the West Coast. So this rock is very hard, very difficult to drill, very slow drilling. So just to give you an example, they reported, I think it was last year, a bit from NOV that increased the rate of penetration from, you know, I don't know, 40 to 50 feet per day to 80 feet per hour, so.
0: Hey, now we're talking.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's technologies like that that allow geothermal companies to and the industry to go deeper, hotter. Another company that actually Neighbors is invested in is a company called Quaze, and they use millimeter drilling techniques. I mean, they're a few years out to actually put their technology in the ground, but in very impressive technology that, you know, we are watching closely and would want to ride the coattails of when it's proven. But for now we're focused on the lower temperature rock where we can use off the shelf oil and gas equipment and you know know how to drill the wells. But yeah, there's a lot of technology development that's ongoing that I think is gonna definitely impact geothermal for the next five to ten years.
0: Cool. That's exciting. And yeah, I just hope to see it you know continue to grow and evolve and like you said, especially with the demand for energy and electricity, as we continue to move that direction, it's just, I think it's necessary and we need to look at all forms. And you even mentioned nuclear earlier, you know, after learning about it through school, you know, it's, I'm quite, I would say I'm an advocate of nuclear and it's tough to see, I guess, the constraints or the perception of it being, you know, very high risk and all the rest of it and dangerous. But, you know, geothermal is one that I really hope continues to take off and gain attention not only from you know for investors like neighbors and the others but just on a mass scale i think it could unlock some serious potential and get us to where we want to be because you know there's a lot of these goals you know to get you know carbon neutral by 2050 and To me, it makes sense, and I hope nothing but the best for you. And with that said, Cindy, are there any other for people that are, say, interested in geothermal? Or we've piqued some interest in some folks. Are there any other resources that people can go to to learn a bit more about geothermal, just in general? Or are there there anything out there?
1: Yeah, Justin, there's so much on the internet. There's so many good videos. You know, there's a lot of different websites. That would be my first go to. And then, you know, again, this pivot conference in a couple of weeks. And the Pivot 2021 conference is actually still available. You know, people can pull that up and watch videos from that conference. There's also a conference at the end of August called Geothermal Rising, GRC. Yeah. So that's another interesting conference to go to. That That's an actual in-person conference. And it, I went there last year in San Diego and it was a lot of interesting papers and a lot of, you know, some of the movers and the shakers of the geothermal industry were definitely attending.
0: Cool. No, actually, that was one with the gentleman I was mentioning from Ormet. He suggested and there's a site geothermal.org that is a great resource. And I pulled it up earlier. And for everyone out there that's curious. So in the US, there's 94 US geothermal power plants producing or with a capacity of 3,692 megawatts. And there's 15,854 megawatts of global installed geothermal capacity. So if anyone was curious, there's some facts for you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, you nailed the yeah. I, I knew I knew about the 16 gigawatt globally. That's a number that's been etched in my mind, so
0: Yeah, no, it's cool. And and hopefully more as folks like yourself and continue to help push the industry forward. Cindy, so before we close out, and I want to respect your time, we're coming up on an hour here, but I always like to close out with, again, a question on more on the personal side. But I normally ask, what's something about yourself that not many people know about? And what you know that, what I would say was the horse story. I think that's pretty cool. But aside from that, do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success? And I would imagine, you know, working at Shell for that long, you may have developed some little habits that contributed to your success. And so I'm curious to hear about them, if you haven't.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, Justin, again, my view is that, you know, people are what make a business successful. So I, I don't know if you would call it a habit, but my truth is that if you, you know, take care of the people, the people take care of the business. And so, and it's something that I feel has been successful for me. And so I would say that that's my habit or truth, you know, is take care of the people because that's the most important part of the business.
0: Yes. Well, like the gentleman said from Shell, you know, your people are your greatest assets, and I'm a firm believer in that as well. Well, see. this has been absolutely a great conversation and hopefully the audience found it valuable as well. If people want to reach out to you or, you know, perhaps connect with you, what's the best way? I noticed you know, obviously you're on LinkedIn, anywhere else where people can find information about you or Sage.
1: Yeah, we have a website. So Sage LinkedIn in, and happy to you know, give out my email address as well, which is cindy.taff at sagegeosystems.com. I'm happy to connect with anybody that's interested in geothermal because, as you said, Justin, I think part of, you know, geothermal just getting more visibility is the education piece. So, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, doing presentations to student organizations. Yeah, and I really enjoy it. So, if anybody wants any more information on what we're doing or in, in geothermal, you know, in general, I'm happy to help as much as I can.
0: Perfect. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes. That way everyone can just click and yeah, hopefully generate some conversation around geothermal. And if you have any questions for me, for the audience, let me know. And I really appreciate obviously Wicked Energy with JG's still getting kicked off, but I appreciate all the support and anyone who's transitioned with me to the new podcast if you could subscribe that would be great on spotify whether it be itunes anywhere please leave a review that always helps me kind of gauge where i'm at any feedback whether good or bad is always welcome and appreciated and for everyone out there, always remember, everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or getting started. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.